It's good to see you again, you all. How are you all? We've been down in Texas, you know, you all. (laughs) And uh, enjoying some time away this month. Uh, February is a great time to travel and to think about love. And so um, we've been doing that. I hope you've had a opportunity to celebrate uh, Valentine's in one way or another. <clears throat> and we've been thinking about that and uh, talking about that in a context. Uh, we've talked about the importance of love in our relationships with uh, one another and with our families, with our spouses, and in relationship to God as well. And there's another aspect of love that I would like to speak to you about this morning. And uh, <clears throat> it's, a, it's an area that uh, is a little bit difficult sometimes to uh, um, think about because it can be painful. But the um, point is that love for one another is often tested by the fact that we offend or sin against one another. And when that happens, we are called to forgive one another. This is a critical aspect of our lives as believers, is to understand the importance of forgiveness and to experience it in our lives. I thought I would take this opportunity to speak to you about it uh, a little bit this morning, and this may Uh, connect with you in a very personal way. It may be something that you've already dealt with, and if that's so, that's great, and you can experience, you're experiencing the joy of forgiveness, but it could be that there are some struggles you have because of what's happened in your life. I want to speak about this in the context of a passage that is very practical. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 32. It says, um, so I tell you and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futile of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit 
of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Here it is again. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So, Paul is uh, giving some very practical instruction, which is so typical of him and how he writes his letter. He begins with very important doctrinal truths and then goes on to applications of those truths in the lives of those who uh, he's writing to and to us as well. And this particular section of Scripture, I've often said, is one of the most practical expressions of what it means to live in holiness. You know, you could look in various places, but if you're looking for a particular passage that really speaks to what holiness is all about, this would be a good one. You'll probably hear more about that next Sunday when Ben Dick comes to speak on the subject of sanctification, which is what this is all about. And of course, it goes on this way for uh, a long uh, a long stretch in the uh, to, almost to the end of Ephesians. It's really impossible to live life without having to deal with forgiveness, simply because as we live in relationship with others, it isn't long before we are offended or cause offense towards someone else. In Luke 17, we read that Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them, it's pretty strong language, to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So he says, watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. So the matter of offense and forgiveness is huge. No doubt we all have stories of people in our lives who have, in one way or another, offended us. It could be somebody uh, at work. It could be somebody in the church. It could be a family member. Uh, And there are many experiences and instances of of this, especially even going through uh, the pandemic and so on. And, the, and, and so in the end, <clears throat> uh, we harbor bitterness in our hearts because of what these people have done to us. And in the process, terrible things happen. For example, we easily, and this is a common tendency among us for this reason, we, we develop a kind of victim mentality about life, that we need special consideration from others because of the burden of offense that we bear. Sometimes we experience offense even when others don't know that they've offended us. 
and uh, yet in nursing our own offenses from others, we forget that we likewise have offended others in one way or another. But here's the thing. Here's how to get a handle on this and try to understand it better. We live in a world that in general bases relationship not on grace but on merit. The basic philosophy of everyone quite naturally is, I'll be good to you because or when or if you're good to me. And the negative form of this is tit for tat. If you've been mean to me, then I need equal compensation. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It's the way justice works. You pay for the crimes or sins and transgressions that you have committed. And this is what living by God's moral law, as shown to us in the Old Testament, is really all about. And in truth, that is actually how we stand before God. We are all transgressors of God's moral law and must pay the consequences of transgressing his law. That's why in Romans 6.23, Paul writes that the wages, the result of sin, is death. And the reason the world is under God's judgment, because of God's holiness and justice. And in the New Testament, or the New Covenant, the judgment that should have been ours is put on Jesus. This is the wonder of the gospel, the beauty of the gospel. And this is what we celebrate as we come to the communion table, even this morning. He took our sins upon himself and died in our place. The, the creator of the universe, the one who made all of this, humbled himself and took our sins upon himself so that we could be forgiven of our sins. In Christ and in his death on the cross, we are offered forgiveness. So he prayed these words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. This is really what makes the Christian faith absolutely so unique. Every religion in the world is based on some form of merit. Consider Islam, for example, in which the idea of justice and compensation is a very strong element. Or think of Buddhism, in which justice is the result of the fateful idea of karma, that you get what you deserve in life based on how you live. By contrast, the revelation of God in the Jewish scriptures is that justice is rooted in the very character of God, but so also is mercy and grace and forgiveness, supremely, as we've said, as I've said, made known to us in what Jesus did for us on the cross by uh, his death for our sins. And this whole idea is just revolutionary. It is a whole new way of meeting out justice. And an important question at this point for all of us is to consider whether we have received God's mercy and his forgiveness for us. Have we acknowledged that he did this? And have we opened our lives to receive the forgiveness that he so generously offers to us? And it could be this morning that someone is here for whom this is a a new idea, a new thought. Maybe 
Maybe you haven't yet come to that place where you recognize the tremendous significance of what Jesus did. And to open your heart and say, yes, thank you for dying for my sin. I realize that I'm a sinner. I open my life to you. But here's the thing. Because of what God has done for us, he calls us to do the same in relation to one another. The Lord's Prayer, for example, says, Forgive us our trespasses or our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us or who are our debtors. But the question is, how does all this work? How do you deal with the pain of someone else's violation against you? What do you do when someone you've trusted robs you of your dignity? When they take advantage of you, let you down, or say something about you that isn't true, or belittle you in some way? How do you find peace and joy in that situation, especially if it costs you your reputation or your future in some way? Well, in the first place, it's important for you to accept the reality of the cost involved in what has been done. You have to be realistic about the pain and loss you've experienced. In fact, it's your keen sense of justice that makes you conscious of the fact that you've been violated. And it is important to recognize the reality and seriousness of another person's violation against you. So it's not a matter simply, when we talk about forgiveness, it's not a matter simply of forgetting about it, because when we try to do that and push it underneath, it comes up in other ways. Uh, And if if you just try to do that, if you try to deny it or hide that hurt, then the hurt will come out later, as I say. Think, for example, of those who've been hurt deeply as children, perhaps in sexual violation. And you, it's not unusual for people to have experienced this. There may be those among us this morning who know what this is about, or you know of someone who's been violated in this way. And if that's the case, you know how painful that can be. And it's so painful that it's easy to deny this reality But then the thing that happens, it goes into the subconscious part of our minds and our lives until the hurt comes out in some other way in feelings and actions of anger and rejection and so on. And of course, this is why the violation of a child's innocence is such a serious matter. No one really can or should or ignore Uh, deny or ignore the the moral offenses that have been done against them. And my point in all of this is that it is important for us to come to a place of dealing with the reality of violation. And this is where counseling, of course, can be helpful. A trained counselor can help a person deal with the reality of what has happened so that justice can be achieved. From a Christian perspective, This is where the power of the gospel is so important and so beautiful. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that with God's help, you decide to forgive in the same way God has forgiven you. That is why the gospel is such good news. As I said, the most common response is to seek compensation for the hurt that has been caused. That's what the legal business is really all about. Lawyers 
and courts are in the business of seeking justice for those who have become victims. And I might say that there's a place for that in our society. Part of this involves uh, adequate punishment, incarceration, and so on. It also consists in the prevention of continuing violations involving further pain and even, even the loss of life. It's evident in scriptures, for example, Romans 13, that God has given civil authorities the right to punish, to jail, and even to kill when necessary. But the larger question is how we deal with the pain and violation of others toward us on a personal level. And I think the only satisfactory answer is by offering forgiveness. And the only way that we can do that is by uh, the pain and um, is by taking that, by giving the pain and cost that you've offered, suffered over to Christ. And I want to talk about that for a few minutes here. You have to recognize that Jesus came in order to offer you forgiveness for your sin and also for the sins of everybody else. And so by an act of your will in prayer, you decide to turn the offense of another person over to Jesus, knowing that he died for that purpose. So you say to the Lord, Lord, I am deeply, deeply hurt by what happened, but I want to turn this whole thing over to you and trust you for your grace, for you to deal with the offender, but also for your grace in my own life. And... uh, That really is what it consists of. You, By faith, you choose to trust God for his justice to be realized. You trust him, one, to exercise justice in relation to the offender, but you also trust him to compensate your life for the loss that you've suffered. Romans twelve nineteen says, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay. I think this is key to the process of forgiveness. In order to get off the devil's hook, so to speak, or to escape being held hostage to the hurt that the other person has caused you, you need to be willing to give it over to Jesus and to trust him for his justice toward you and also toward the one who has violated you. And then also, you need to trust God for his blessing in your life in spite of what's happening. happened. For God is able to compensate in ways that we can never imagine for the things that have happened to us. For example, it's possible by someone else's action that you end up losing your job. And you may have to go through some pain because of it. But through it, God may open up other opportunities for work that you may never have dreamed of. Or he may bring some blessing into your life that you hadn't known about or counted on. For example, that you will learn to lean on the Lord like you hadn't before. Or that you end up with a story of God's grace that can be an encouragement to others who need God's comfort. That's what happens when we begin to practice forgiveness. So instead of focusing on your loss, you consider the new ways God might want to work in you and through you because of what you have been forced to go through. It's always amazing to me to see how God can use a seemingly negative experience 
to multiply the opportunity for blessing that you may never have dreamed about as you put your trust in him. Think of it even in terms of what Jesus did for us. The cost that he bore was incredible. I mean that he would be willing, the creator of the universe would be willing to take, take the sin of the whole world upon himself by dying. But think, you know, in, in that moment, it was a terrible, terrible experience for the Lord. And we, knew, we know that from what we read in the scriptures. But the blessing that has come out of that is amazing. That's why we're here this morning, because of what God did in Christ for us. And he opened a way for us to experience eternal life. There's one, another question in regard to this whole thing that is very important to consider, uh, and I want to conclude with this little consideration. And it has to do, what about uh, forgiveness toward your, via, your uh, violator to the point of reconciliation? That's a whole other part of the process. You know, you can accomplish a lot just by forgiving a person in your heart. But this next step is an important part of the process as well. It depends on the other person's willingness, of course, to acknowledge the offense. In Matthew 5, 23 and 24, we read, If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled, then come and uh, offer your gift. In one way or another, you have to be uh, willing to uh, have a conversation with this other person. Essentially, it's the same principle by which we become Christians. It is one thing to, to consider that Jesus has died on the cross for our sins. He died, in fact, the scriptures say, for the sin of the whole world. But in order for us to experience reconciliation with God, we have to be willing to come to him and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I've sinned. And then the relationship is restored. And it's the same thing in our relationship with, uh, with, with uh, somebody else who's uh, offended us. Uh, we need to be willing to uh, come and uh, maybe speak to that person. The person who sinned against us needs to humbly and sincerely acknowledge their sin toward us and then ask for our forgiveness. And ideally, this will happen by the person coming to us and asking us for, forgiven, for forgiveness. And it's a wonderful thing when that happens. But what if it doesn't happen? You may have to go to that person and then speak to them about the hurt. Sometimes pe- people find it easier to do this by, by a letter to actually express what they feel the person has done to them and so on. Remember again the words of uh, Jesus in Matthew 5, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother is offended against you, leave your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled with your brother, then come and offer your gift. And then according to Matthew 18.15, you may have to take someone else with you and depending on that person's response, you will either win their, uh, their favor or else you will have to turn them over to the Lord for him to deal with them. If he or she responds, it will mean that that trust process of your relationship 
can once again begin and you can build that relationship. But if not, you put that person in the Lord's hands. And then, as the uh, slide indicates, there's one other thing that you can do in this process. If the person rejects your attempt to seek reconciliation and the restoration of fellowship, all is not lost. You can still do something. Matthew 5.43 says, you are to bless them and pray for them. He said, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So this is pretty radical, isn't it? So different than the way we naturally tend to respond to offenses that occur in our lives. And it is in the same context of offense that Paul writes in Romans 12 about not taking revenge into your own hands. If your enemy hungers... He says, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And then Paul adds, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Have you ever wondered what it means to heap burning coals on your offender's head? Probably means that your kindness, by blessing them, has a burning effect upon another person's conscience. Arabs apparently have a saying that says, burning coals of the heart and fire in the liver. So you know how this works. If someone is especially good to you in spite of your nastiness, how does it make you feel? It brings a sense of conviction. I think that's really what this passage is speaking to. You know, it's a fact that no matter where we live or what our involvement in the world is, we're going to face the challenge of forgiveness. There are some tremendous examples of this, of course, uh, probably here this morning, uh, but otherwise as well. Many years ago, I got to know a Mennonite pastor couple by the name of Cliff and Wilma Dirksen. Uh, You may have heard of these folks. This is public knowledge, so I'm not sharing something that isn't out there. But at one point, their 13-year-old daughter went missing while walking home from school, uh, only to be found dead two months later. And through much difficulty, they came to a place of forgiveness, and they lived to write about it and bless others because of it. Another example is that of Corey Tenboom, whose father and sister were arrested and imprisoned for hiding Jewish people in Holland during World War II. And later, while speaking on forgiveness, one of her captors came forward and said he'd become a Christian, and he was now asking for her forgiveness. And as she talks about this, she says, I stood and looked at him for a long time and took me a long time to raise my hand and shake his and receive uh, and offer the forgiveness for which he was asking us, asking. You know, most of us don't experience uh, these kinds of very deep offenses, but sooner or later, we all have something in this way that happens to us. 
Sometimes we even feel like God has let us down. Some people speak in terms of coming to a place where you uh, have to acknowledge God's work and you have to, in a sense, uh, say thank you in spite of what's happened. Sooner or later, we all suffer ill treatment of one kind or another. As I share this subject with you, I'm speaking from my own personal experience in a very real way. There have been experiences that I've had, even within the context of the church, that have not been easy. And I've had to come to the place where I'm willing to acknowledge that this has hurt and to, in a way, try to offer forgiveness and even experience reconciliation with those kind of people. And I'm sure I'm speaking to some this morning that uh, have experienced one thing or another, maybe in the context of the church, maybe in a family relationship, maybe in some other context. It's been very, very difficult. And you don't know what to do about it, and you just want to cut that person out of your life. So I'm wondering this morning if someone comes to mind as I'm speaking about these things. And if God is using this message this morning from his word to call you to enter into an experience of true forgiveness and even reconciliation with a person that has offended you. So based on the scriptures today, God is asking you to recognize, first of all, the seriousness of the person's offense, to give it to Jesus, and trust him to deal rightly with it, then to seek reconciliation with that person if at all possible. And if you, if, even if you can't reconcile, that you're going to decide to bless them and pray for them. There's a man by the name of Lewis Smeads that some of you uh, will recognize, whose name you'll recognize. He, apparently he was a, a professor at Fuller Theological Seminary and he's written extensively about the matter of forgiveness. And uh, he wrote this, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that the prisoner was you. So good to be free. That you no longer harbor these things in your heart. And in the context of what you're going through as a church, there may be things that have happened in relationship to the past that you need to give over to the Lord. And... uh, trust him to uh, compensate for. So I'd like to pray for you to that end. And uh, this morning at the end of the service, if there are uh, situations that you need help to deal with, you might want to come forward and sit in the chairs here at the front. And uh, I'm sure there are others who would be willing to come alongside and and just pray with you about what you're going through um, and uh, to to seek God's, God's help in this time. So we're going to, uh, as we end the service today, appropriately, uh, go into a time of uh, communion or sharing in the Lord's table. I think it's, I think it's very significant that uh, we are able to do this, and I'd like us to do it in a way this morning that's, that's uh, very reflective and thoughtful, and I'll explain more about that as we proceed. I'm going to lead in a prayer, and then uh, we're going to have a song to prepare our hearts, and then we'll... Uh, move into a time around the Lord's table. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you this morning for your word because it speaks so specifically to us about what you did for us in Christ when you offered your 
itself as a sacrifice for our sins on the cross. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for, for your willingness to, to do this for us and to actually, in truth, forgive us so that we can stand before you without offense. Oh, God, we give you thanks. And this morning, we look forward to remembering what you did for us as we share in communion. But also this morning, we recognize that this is something that we need to do in relation to others who offend against us. And we all have stories. We all have experiences of people that have let us down, really have been careless in their attitude toward us or violated us in some way. Oh, God, I just pray this morning for your grace among us that would enable us to forgive those who have sinned against us, to know what this is in a very personal way in our lives. We pray that you would prepare our hearts for this time around your table. In Jesus' name, amen. Come to communion. I always think that this is the most special thing in the world. Because all of what we believe is centered on what Jesus has done for us on the cross. That this fact is absolutely central to what our lives, to what the church is all about. And so I think that it's something that we should enter into very carefully. Some, some churches make this a practice every Sunday because it's so important. And uh, we, there's a sense in which we can't do it enough because of its centrality. The problem is, and you know this from experience, like so many things in the church, they easily become routine. And it fails to, to be what God intended it to be in terms of a, a, a tremendous moment of worship and reflection And so this morning, I just want us to take enough time to do that. And I know that the habit is, or the custom is, for you to come forward and receive the cup, take the cup and the bread, and take it back to your seat. And you're certainly going to be doing that this morning again. I appreciate so much those who've who've, uh, prepared communion for us in this way. But I just want you this morning to take time before you come to reflect on the significance of what Jesus has done for you, to make it a a moment of thanksgiving, to make it a, a moment in which you consider the cost of what it, it was for Jesus to do this, to think of his suffering, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the one who created this beautiful world. Willingly suffering for us. Think about that. And then think about your own relationship to Christ. Now, communion, of course, is for those who have put their faith and trust in him, who've come to believe. So, and for those who, who know that there's a right relationship between themselves and the Lord. 
and if you don't feel like that's been established for you and somehow you don't want to participate this morning, that's okay. We don't expect everyone necessarily to come forward. But uh, if, if this is something that is meaningful to you, that Christ has come into your heart by faith, you opening your heart to him, saying yes to him, then you're invited to take the, the cup, the bread and the cup. So we're going to take uh, time this morning. I'm going to read some scripture that uh, communion service is based on and then uh, offer a prayer. Uh, and then Matt and the team here will play some music and uh, uh, you can sit for a while or you can come. I don't expect you necessarily all to come at once. Take your time. Take time to prepare your own heart. And then when you're ready, just come, take the elements back to your seat and uh, uh, take of the bread and the cup when you're ready. I'll offer a prayer uh, before uh, you do that, um, before you come. Let me just review these beautiful words from 1 Corinthians where Paul writes, I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, you can just see this. He's sitting with the disciples, and he's saying to them, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is what the church has been doing throughout the ages, proclaiming the truth of his death for our sins until that day he comes again. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for this opportunity to celebrate the wonder of what is at the heart of what we believe, that God in Christ offered his life as a sacrifice there on the cross that we might be forgiven of our sins. This morning we've been thinking about forgiveness how wonderful it is to be forgiven in our relationship with God who is the king and judge of all the earth to stand before him and say, I'm innocent. I'm worthy because of what Jesus has done for me. I pray this morning that as we take of the bread that represents your body that was broken, and the cup that represents the blood that was spilled on the cross, we might have a new appreciation for the wonder of what you did for us and to receive it with thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. So when you're ready, come take, go back to your seat and take of the, the bread and the cup in remembrance of our Lord.
Let us pray. Lord, we give you thanks this morning for this privilege, meeting around your table, remembering what you have done for us, seeking by your grace to extend this forgiveness to those around us. Lord, we are desperately a people who need your grace. And people everywhere around us need your grace. We pray that we may be instruments of your grace, extending forgiveness, demonstrating your love as you demonstrated it for us. Thank you for this time around your table this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your presence with us. I pray for any this morning who may be struggling with forgiveness. I pray, Lord, that you will enable them to release the offense to you into your hands and to extend forgiveness to those who have offended them. I pray, Lord, that you will enable them to bless those and pray for those who have been um, mean to them. I pray, Lord, that you would bring about reconciliations where that is needed today. We pray with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said before, if you're someone who uh, needs prayer along the lines that I've spoken about this morning, you may have um, a need. I just want you to feel free to come and stay after Come to the front and I'll meet with you. Maybe there are other elders, for example, who'd be willing to pray with you as well. I'm sure there would be. This isn't something that we've rehearsed. But if the Lord is speaking to you and you need his grace in a specific way this morning, please come. I I just want to say a word of commendation uh, concerning Matt's testimony and Annette's uh, report as well, which is uh, so good. I wanted to come up after Matt shared and just pray with him and just say, Matt, God bless you. That's amazing what God's done in your life and is doing. And uh, we'll continue to pray and trust God for his grace in your life. And I think it's wonderful that Matt was willing to share that with us this morning. You know, we're all in need of God's grace in one way or another. So if there's something that you need from God this morning. Don't leave here without connecting, uh, praying with someone else. And so with that, I just leave you with this benediction. It's one of my favorite favorites. It's from, um, from Hebrews chapter 13. And it goes like this. And now may the God of peace that brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, make you perfect in every good way, to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, to whom be glory forever and ever.